You're 16 years old, and you say to your mom, I need to go to the store. And she reminds you, you got your driver's license now. Why don't you go by yourself? You back out of the driveway, you look down the street, and as you put it in gear and drive, you're like, yeah. You've worked for years toward a job like this, the job of your dreams, your career job. You enter the elevator the first day for that new job, and you push that button up, and you're like, up we go. You've dreamed, you've planned, you've saved for this vacation, and now, after getting to the airport on time, taxiing, you're at the end of the runway, and you're waiting to fly away. Or maybe you just went to the amusement park with one of those new maglev roller coasters where you're strapped in and you sit there and it's like, like a rocket launching you off. There's that moment of launch, that moment in time when you go from where you were to rapidly moving ahead. And that's where we're at today in God's Word as we study the book of Acts. Acts chapter 2 verse 14 and following our key text if you join us in your copy of God's Word. What we got here is Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost and explains salvation in Jesus to the crowd. It's the beginning of the church. But I use the word launch since it is a powerful event. 3,000 people are saved. And today we see the title to my series of sermons, The Spirit at Work coming on God's people in order to draw them to salvation, to found and launch the new church by changing the lives of 3,000 people in the world that very day, Pentecost. So if you recall from our text where we were previously in Acts chapter 1, Jesus was still there. He hadn't ascended into heaven and he says, you guys got to wait and you guys got to pray and I'm going to send you the gift of the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 2, uh, last week, we begins with believers gathering together. And there's the three signs, the wind, the fire, and the tongues. And the sound of the wind that attracted all the Pentecost crowds that had come to Jerusalem for the feast. The tongues of fire are small flames over the heads of each and every person, symbolic of the unity that the Spirit was going to be given to all people. And then there was the speaking in tongues, the speaking of known languages. The Galileans speaking it didn't know they were speaking another language, but all the hearers from the other nations heard it. And these signs God used to attract a crowd. So what we don't know is, are they still at the house and in the upper room? Was there enough space there for 3,000 to gather? Or had they gone to the temple courts? Or how or where did Peter preach this sermon? Well, that location is not important But what is of utmost important is what happens next. The coming of the Holy Spirit and the founding of the church, the launch of God's mission to save humanity through Jesus by all believers of all nations in all times known as the church. So would you stand with us if you're able in the honor of reading God's word as we read Acts chapter 2 verses 14 through 41. A longer passage, but we can do this. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd, fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. 
And then he uses the first of three different Old Testament passages where he's preaching to them of what happened. No, this is what was spoken of by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy, and your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in heaven above and signs on earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will turn to darkness, the moon to blood, before the coming of the great and glorious day day of the Lord, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Verse 22, men of Israel, listen to this, Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs by which God did among you through him, as you yourself know. This man was handed over to you by God's purpose set purpose and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him on a cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me, because he's at my right hand, I will not be shaken." Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will live in hope because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor let your Holy One see decay. You've made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Now, Peter explains that scripture. Verse 29. Brothers, I tell you confidentially that the patriarch David died and was buried And his tomb is here to this day. He's preaching in Jerusalem. David's tomb is in Jerusalem. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on a throne. Seeing what was ahead, he spoke of the resurrection of Christ, that he was not abandoned to the grave, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of the fact, exalted to the right hand of God. He has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool at your feet. Again, Peter's explanation, Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Verse 38, Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off and all whom the Lord will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourself from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Pray with me. God, our Father, this is an amazing passage in the Bible that shows us what happened after your Holy Spirit came and when the gospel was preached 
with authority and in the power of the Spirit. How light to us and human history was changed forever. We pray, Father, that you'd help us apply it to our life even now. It's in the name of Jesus and all God's people said, Amen. Well, thank you. You can be seated. There are four aspects of the gospel that are needed to launch the church that we see in this passage of Scripture today. So rather than doing a verse-by-verse review that could become more of a history report, as I studied through this, I got to the end of John Stott's commentary, the one that I borrowed the title for our sermon series, The Spirit of the Church and the World from, and Stott had these four aspects of the gospel, the events, the witnesses, the promises, and the conditions. And that makes our outline for our sermon today. And so the first point on your outline is the gospel events, the gospel events that we see happening in this passage of Scripture as Peter is preaching to the gathered crowd of, heaven knows, 3,000 plus there in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost, the day in which the Holy Spirit came. There were three miracles, the wind, the fire, and the languages, but none of those events were more important than the gospel And the first point there is the cross. The first gospel event is the cross. As Peter has preached to them, he said there in verse 23, this man, Jesus, was handed over by God's set purpose and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him on the cross. One, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And in verse 22, he said, men of Israel... Jesus was accredited to you by miracles, signs, and wonders, which God done among you. But now he's getting to the crux of the matter. And I use the word crux on purpose. Crux means cross. He's getting down to business. That even though Jesus preached this way, participated, did signs and miracles and wonders, and even though people that are hearing my voice saw and heard and participated in those signs and wonders, it's the cross of Jesus, his death, that makes all the difference. Verse 36, in verse 36, Peter said, Therefore let all Israel, this was a Jewish audience listening to him, had come for the Pentecost feast, a Jewish feast. And so he's not speaking of the nation of Israel, but he's speaking of Jewish people. Let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Savior. The cross, we recognize Jesus died on the cross for us. They knew that, we know that. Let's get to the second gospel event, and that's the resurrection. It'd be one thing to put someone to death. People die. One out of every one person dies. The statistics are impressive. But who rises from the dead? Not very few people and no one like Jesus. What does it say in verse 24? But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. And then he quotes David talking about the Lord at my Lord, and then he explains that in verse 29. And then you come to verse 31 and 32 where he summarizes, seeing what was ahead, 
He, David, spoke of the resurrection of Christ, that he, was, he, Christ, was not abandoned at the grave, nor did his body see decay. He was only there three days, not long enough to decay, not even really three calendar days, but parts of three days. In verse 32, God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of the fact. Remember, when they were picking a new apostle, it had to be someone who had been with them from the beginning and had been a witness of the resurrected Christ. So Peter, speaking on behalf of the apostles, speaking on behalf of the 120 gathered disciples, say, we were all witnesses of this. And he may even be referring to some of those that were in the sound of his voice, may have been in Jerusalem and had witnessed the resurrected Christ as well. God raised Jesus from the dead. Your question to apply this is this. How is Jesus different from all other gods? All other gods with a little g, God. What did Jesus do differently from other gods? Well, he had a miraculous origin story. There are other gods like that. He had compassion on people, maybe some other gods like that. He had powerful preaching and teaching, other gods like that. Miracles of all types asserted to other gods as well. But what was it that Jesus did different from all of the gods? He said he was God. He said he would rise from the dead, and he did. They saw it. He said the Holy Spirit would come, and the Spirit came. They were filled with him. And he said he's coming again. And all that believed in him will have eternal life. Even today, we can do that. Jesus is unique among all other gods, and we can share in confidence with that because of who He said He was and what He did, and His life and His continued life by the Spirit and through the church proves that. So we've talked about our gospel events. The first thing needed to lodge the church. Let's move on to our second major point, the gospel witnesses. The gospel witnesses, and there are two categories here, and the first is the prophets. There are two prophets that Peter in his sermon quotes, Joel And David, King David, in verse 17 through 21, Peter quotes from the book of Joel about the signs and wonders and things that are going to happen. And you can think, yeah, that happened in Jesus' life. The sun turning to darkness when Jesus was on the cross. And the glorious day, is he referring to the end times or the day in which Jesus rose again? But the point, verse 21, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Then he quotes David at two different passages of Scripture, and he refers to David as speaking as a prophet in these times. The second category of witness is apostles. Apostles. That's 2.2 on your outline. In verse 14, Peter says that he stood up with the eleven, and as the spokesman for them, he raised his voice to address them. He was an apostle. Look down at verse 32 again. God raised him to life and we are all witnesses of the fact. As apostles, the 12 of us and any more with them were witnesses of this. Verse 36, where he said, Therefore let all Israel be assured, God has made this Christ whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. We saw that you did it. You know that you did it. We're reporting to you. Let's go back to verse 14, however. Where Peter begins his sermon, Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, 
let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. Once upon a time, my mama used a phrase with me that she's never used one before and never used one since. Melanie was pregnant with our first child, Seth. We had gone to Babies R Us to do the registry, and we registered for a double stroller. You know, the kind that has a seat in the front and a seat in the back. We had one car seat we registered for, the kind that would kind of snap into the stroller or snap into the thing in the back seat of our car, but we registered for a double stroller. That afternoon, I get a phone call from my mother, and there was a frantic tone in her voice, and she says, Aaron Householder, and I thought, what have I done to get in trouble that she called me two names? She didn't call me all three, Paul Aaron Householder. She called me Aaron Householder. She said, do not equivocate, do not prevaricate, do not hesitate. I thought, man, she's gone to like the Jesse Jackson school of rhetoric here. And she says, are you having twins? I'm like, what? She says, are you having twins? She was about in tears. I said, why would you think we're having twins? She says, you registered for a double stroller. I said, oh, as my mind is catching up very quickly, I said, yes, but you notice we only registered for one car seat. We're just planning ahead, Mama. She says, you're sure you're not having twins? I'm like, you told me don't hesitate, prevaricate, or equivocate. I didn't. We're not having twins. She was saying to me, you better pay attention to what I'm about to say next. That's about as strong as what Peter said here. Peter is saying to them, listen up. Let me tell you, pay attention. What we don't realize for those of us that hear it today, and especially those of us that were born in the church, is what he was saying to them was revolutionary. That you'd studied about, known about a Messiah, but you didn't want to believe Jesus was him. But he was. And you can have new life in him, not based on the religious system you grew up with, Jewish people, but based on Jesus, not based on ritual, but based on freedom that comes through repentance and the Holy Spirit filling you. He's saying, you can be a witness. It asks that question of us, how can I act like these witnesses? How can I act like these witnesses? What is it that we can do? We're not a prophet in the biblical sense, but you can prophesy and tell the truth to friends. You're not an apostle in the biblical sense, but you are sent out from this place to share the gospel. You too can be a witness of God's goodness and the events and the things that brought Jesus to be Savior of all mankind and the Holy Spirit to come upon those who trust Him. So we've got our gospel events, we've got our gospel witnesses, number three on your outline, our gospel promises. The gospel promises, the first gospel promise is forgiveness. Thanks be to God for forgiveness. Can I get an amen? Thanks be to God for forgiveness. Confession leads to freedom. And that freedom comes from the forgiveness that Jesus gives. What did verse 21 say? I know we keep going back there. It's a touchstone verse. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. All means all. All of us have sinned and fall short of God's glory. All of us are lost and on our way to hell. All of us need Jesus. But everyone 
anyone, all of us that call on the name of the Lord Jesus will be saved. And it's with this that we can preach with confidence and with joy the freedom to all people everywhere and all time. When the people were cut to the heart and they said, what shall we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized every one of you for the forgiveness of your sins and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Forgiveness is a gift, a promise. The second promise is also there in verse 38, and that is the Holy Spirit. That when you repent, you will be forgiven, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit as a mark, a deposit that you're saved. Now, we could point out three other passages in Acts, Acts chapter 8 in Samaria, Acts chapter 10 in Cornelius' house, or uh, Cornelius' house, Acts chapter 19 in Ephesus, where the believers were saved, but they weren't filled with the Holy Spirit yet. And then it was an apostle who came and prayed for them or laid hands on them, and then they were given the Holy Spirit. And we go, hey, wait a second, time out. Well, uh, we're going to talk further about this in a minute, but we have to remember this is the apostolic age, and things happen a little differently there. And on purpose, and obviously when we get to those passages of Scripture in weeks or months ahead, we'll talk about it in depth. But just to let you know, that it is normative, normal, that when you repent, that then you receive the Holy Spirit at that very point in time. We need to ask our third question, however. How have I experienced these promises? In your life, has there been a point in time when you trusted Jesus as your personal Savior and Lord? And you said, I admit to God that I'm a sinner. I believe that Jesus is God's Son. I confess Him as my Savior and Lord. If not, you can do that today. Today. If you're online, email me, Aaron at SouthviewBaptist.org, and we'll find a way to talk about that or chat about that, to explain that today. If you're here, you can talk to me today. Don't leave this place without making that decision. Now, if you are a believer in Jesus, you have an ongoing life of, I sin, and I need to come and ask for forgiveness. And not only do I need to ask for forgiveness, but I need to repent and turn away from that sin and experience the promise of the indwelling Holy Spirit and experience the freedom that comes from forgiveness. We've had the gospel events, the gospel witnesses, the gospel promises. Our fourth and final point this morning is the gospel conditions. The first one is repentance. Go to verse 37. Peter has preached his sermon. He's quoted from Joel. He's quoted two different passages from Psalms written by David. He's explained it to them. He's a lot quicker preacher than I am, but he is Peter. And when the people heard this, it says they were cut to the heart. That word in Greek that's translated cut to the heart is what's called a hapax legomenon. It means it's the one and only instance that's used in the entire New Testament, which means we better pay attention. And it means to pierce or stab. It has the idea of being sudden and unexpected. Kind of like in the movies. 
when somebody betrays someone else and it's not just the fact that they got stabbed, but it's that this person just stabbed me. Look on the actor or actress's face, right? They said to Peter and the apostles, what shall we do? Now, this idea of repentance gets confused in our culture in our day and time. We're smart enough, and there's been enough time that has transpired since this sermon at Pentecost almost 2,000 years ago, that different churches teach different things. And Satan tries to confuse the issues, even using biblical texts to do so. Some churches teach a salvation that's based on legalism, that salvation is by a works righteousness system, that if you do certain things, you're going to be saved. And they can even pull out certain proof texts of Scripture as to justify their works. Other churches teach a moralistic system that the good outweighs the bad. And as long as you're a good person or you're better than most people, you're going to go to heaven or whatever that may be. Some churches or religious systems teach a heritage system that you're going to be saved because you know you were baptized as an infant or your grandma belonged to the church or we're all Christians and it's okay or we're all Jews or Muslims because that's what it means to be part of our culture. Some teach a universalist system that, hey, it don't matter what you believe, it's okay just as long as you believe that good and you're nice to everybody else. You're going to get to heaven, eternal life, afterlife, whatever. Some teach a ritualistic system, which salvation comes through ritual or sacraments. And if you do these things, you're going to go to heaven. And if you don't, you're not going to heaven. Sadly, all of those have legions of followers. But how does Peter answer it? How is someone saved? How simple is it? Profound. Repent, Peter says in verse 38. Peter replied, repent. Repent is a change of purpose. It's a change of heart, a change of mind, a change of direction. You were going one way, serving sin and self, and you repent and you turn. And that's what it takes to be saved. Not ritual, not sacrament, not legalism, not heritage, but repentance. Albert Barnes warns of false repentance that dreads the consequences of sin. Oh no, I got caught. Versus true repentance that dreads the sin itself. It's difficult for those of us raised in a Christian culture to weigh these things out, but we've got to consider it. And as we go on in this passage of Scripture, we get another theological issue that we'll take a brief excursus on here for a moment. Let's look at that. Verse 38 goes on, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for, my NIV says, the forgiveness of your sins. If you read that passage of Scripture just like that, and that's the only one you read, you go, oh, I will not be saved unless I get baptized. Right? That's what that says, isn't it? Repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. In other words, you have to be baptized in order to be saved. That's called baptismal regeneration. In other words, you're born again through baptism. But there's a few problems with that. Number one, it ignores the immediate context of the passage. The public sign of repentance had already taken place. Number two, it violates a standard hermeneutical principle. Not just biblical hermeneutics, but all hermeneutics, but 
analogia scriptura, that no passage, when interpreted correctly, should teach something that contradicts the rest of Scripture. You use Scripture to interpret Scripture. So when we look at all of Scripture, we see this one passage that says, repent and be baptized for the remission of your sins. But you look at all the rest of Scripture and you see repentance and the Holy Spirit comes and baptism isn't a condition of it. The third problem with this is after Jesus had preached condemning the ritualistic religion that had developed because of the Pharisees and Judaism, why would he add a ritual that you have to be saved in order to be saved? He wouldn't. And the fourth one is like number two. The interpretation is not true with the facts of scriptures that forgiveness is related to repentance, not baptism. So touching on that quickly, then coming back to our main idea. What does he say? That after you were baptized and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. A gift is free, it's unmerited. So the order is clear. Repentance is for forgiveness. Baptism follows forgiveness. It doesn't cause it. It's a public sign of it. Can I get an amen? That baptism is symbolic. It's a physical symbol of a spiritual reality. Elsewhere in Acts, we see that receipt of the Holy Spirit is at the time of repentance, other than the three times I named for you. So let's get to 4.2 on your outline. The first of our gospel conditions was repentance. You've got to repent. But the second one is you've got to have faith with baptism. Why did I say with baptism there after making my big point? Well, baptism doesn't save you, but baptism demonstrates your faith. Baptism demonstrates that you have the faith and you are obedient to do what Jesus says to do and what Peter commands to do even here. Peter says and going on in verse 39 that the promise is for you and your children, Jewish people, and for all who are far off, Gentile people like the majority of us, and for all who will call on uh, the all whom the Lord our God will call. That's anybody at all times in order to be saved. So let's ask that last important question on your outline. Why? Confession means we agree. What God calls sin, we call sin. Repentance means to turn. It's a change of heart, mind, direction. So why is it essential? You cannot follow Jesus and keep going your own way. If my way is this way and my way is sin and my way is self, I cannot continue to go my way and follow Jesus if that is His way. Repentance, a turn, a change of heart, mind, and direction is absolutely essential. To be a Christ follower should be to be a repenter, that you live a lifestyle of repentance, that you're continually repenting from sin and self, continually becoming more and more like Jesus, that I must decrease and He must increase. In the sanctification of your life, you look more like Jesus as you go. You may have heard me say before, there's certain Christian men that you, as church members, have had the joy of knowing, and I have had the joy of knowing. And I will tease and I will say about those men who may be a little older than me, maybe my parents' generation. When I grow up, I want to be like that guy. 
The difference between that guy and me is he's got a few more years. He's got different experiences, but the difference between that guy and me that I see is he's a little more like Jesus than I am right now. And guys like that, that are more sanctified, more set apart, more filled with Jesus than I am now, encourage me, inspire me, challenge me to repent regularly and daily as a habit to go, I can be a man of godly character like that. Our scripture memory verse for the month is at the bottom of your page there and be on the screens now. And let's say that together. The scripture memory verse for the month is Acts 2.38 from this very passage of scripture. Acts 2.38, Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Acts 2.38 Let's pray together. God our Father, we thank you for your word. And though it took us a little while to make it through this passage of scripture today, we see so many great truths in it. But the bottom line is the gospel is about your son and the cross he died in. The resurrection he experienced to prove his power over death and hell and sin. To set us free if we would confess and repent and follow him. So God our Father, we pray that if there's anyone here in the sound of my voice that needs to trust Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord, they let us know that this morning in this room or by emailing me so we can talk further. Father, we pray for those of us that are believers in Jesus that we continually struggle with sin because we still live in a sinful world and we are a body of flesh that's so easily tempted that we would confess those things to you and become a little more like Jesus in that process of sanctification today. And Father, we pray that as our passage of Scripture taught today that we should be baptized if we're a believer. If there's anyone here today that is a believer in Jesus but has never been baptized as a believer, that they would make that decision today and even share it with us now. That now would be the time that they say, I'm going to follow Jesus in believer's baptism as a symbol of my new life in Christ. So God, as we respond in these ways, would you move by your Holy Spirit, whatever you want to do. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.